Left. Right. Well, this is a fun episode. I think you're going to like it. We are talking about off-the-grid living. So that means uh, you're not looking at your standard electricity and plumbing, are you? And it looks like you may not also be uh, accessing our podcast. But if you are accessing our podcast, consider subscribing and liking the episode and interacting in any way. We like the interaction. We like the comments. We like the uh, suggestions. And we don't even mind so much when you argue with our perspective. So uh, on that note, this is a fun one. I think you're really going to dig it. And we had a surprise guest. So uh, so we do a little awkward pause uh, about 10 minutes in. But, uh, but it's a fun guest, and he brings great perspective. So see you guys on the other end. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. <laughs> Cheers. 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 Damn, it feels good to be back. Welcome to Sip Talk, episode 191. My name is Justin DiGiulio, out of my basement in New Jersey, joined by James, the Bosonator Boswell out of Charleston, South Carolina. James, how's it hanging? Things are good down here. It's been super hot in Charleston the last two weeks. Might be coming up to New York in a week and a half, though, so um, I don't know. Saw it saw the weather last week and it was like 56 or something in new york on a day and it was 95 here i'm just like i'm not really sure i want that either though well it could be uh could be refreshing for you a little winter vacation in uh in july it'd be nice uh to have you up here we could do maybe a uh a live in-person sip talk i think that could be fun we might end up drinking too much uh but uh it might be worth a shot usually happens I think it always happens when you came up, come up here. Uh, I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, let me ask you tonight, what are you drinking? I am drunk, drinking Milwaukee's Best Ice. Ah, very nice. I see. Yeah, cheaper than Bush Ice because it's the same price, but instead of a 12-pack, it's a 15-pack. So, so I guess it's less money um, per beer. And yeah. uh, we, we established the alcohol content was higher or lower? I think we saw Same alcohol that. content, 5.9%. Oh. It's, it's probably the cheapest beer you can buy. <laughs> and you might be able to do better if you go to Costco and get their their their, their store brand uh, beer, Kirkland. Oh, Kirkland uh, makes beer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a great, I'll, I'll send yeah. you a link. There's a guy who does a whole bunch of fake commercials for uh, for Kirkland Light. Oh, that's awesome. Um, well, I'm drinking, uh, I'm drinking the some... the same place where you buy your pants. <laughs> uh, uh, so, look, I'm drinking some Dewar's uh, on a uh, nice spherical rock tonight. So uh, I'm going, not going super classy, but I am going pretty <laughs> heavy on the pour here. Yeah. Whoops. Um, so, look, we, got a, we had a pretty cool topic today. We are talking about living off the grid. So I see uh, I see. Peter Smith here. He's joined us uh, on YouTube Live. So if you guys are watching us live, we can read your comments if you're on uh, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, or Twitch. If you're on TikTok, we can't see your comments. So sorry about that. Uh, however, you guys are welcome to join us by checking the link in 
my Instagram bio, and you can uh, you can jump on board. You can share your thoughts on living off the grid. In the meantime, so living off the grid, I'm going to guess that most people that are living off the grid would not be potential viewers, probably because they aren't on the internet. Well, uh, well, that's a common misconception, as I think we both learned about off off the grid living. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, although I think most of it, wouldn't you pretty much need to have like a satellite connection? Well, you would have to have something that wouldn't be wired, I think is, is yeah. you know, which, which is, I mean, effectively still off the grid. Um, what, you, you think we should just dive into it? I mean, I, I, well, let me have a drink first because this is Sip Talk and it's nice to loosen up. I probably should have had a drink before we went live, but there's lots of wires to connect here because I am on the grid. Yeah. Um, well, let me start off, or maybe, yeah, let me start off and say, would you ever be interested in living off the grid? As a, as a kid, I, I really liked the idea. Like, it totally rocked. But this is, like, way before the connectivity we have right now through uh, just general internet. Uh, you know, this is, like, back when you had basic cable and then some of your friends had, like, the full premium packages. But there was no internet dial-up. This might have even been before dial-up internet that I was really interested in, like living in a log cabin in the woods. Uh, and then, you know, I probably actually, those log cabins were probably technically on the grid anyways because mm-hmm. they had an electrical connection. Um, should I, should we get, let, let me let me get into defining off the grid. So most people are familiar with the idea of off the grid. Uh, and their basic understanding of it usually means that you are disconnected from electricity, right? They, they have a basic understanding that you are off some grid. And I imagine the first one that comes to mind would be an electrical grid. Fair enough? Yeah. And I, I, think peop- it, I think some people think that it means that you're disconnected from all utilities. And some people might think that it's just electricity. And it, kinda, it can be both. Well, that's, that's the thing is there is this it's not the same to everybody, right? There's a, a bit of a spectrum of, of what it means to be off the grid. Some other grids might include, so you have a, the electricity grid, um, but it may also include, and this is along the range of the spectrum, water, plumbing, sewer, natural gas, garbage service, and transportation lines. So yeah, because you know, when I think about it, like my parents' house um, has its own septic tank and well water, so like they don't have municipal water. Yeah, so to a de- to a degree, they are not as on the grid as a conventional suburban neighborhood. They're more off the grid than my house, um, but they all but the, they do get power from utility company. So let's talk about how that power works, because I think most commonly when someone says off the grid, they mean off the electrical power grid. And the electrical power grid works by burning most predominantly fossil fuels. So they burn this fuel, which uh, boils water. That water creates steam, and the steam pressure turns turbines. And they interact with magnets, which spin in this turbine, and they create electricity. That's how electricity is created, uh, spinning magnets around a coil. Uh, and that's done just like it's, it works in your gasoline car engine. It spins this motor. Uh, let's 
So the elect were you going to say something there? No, I'm looking up uh, because depending on where you live in the country, how much power is um, made from kind of fossil fuels versus renewables varies widely. Like, for example, my state, we actually get the majority of our power from nuclear. Oh, which surprised uh, me, but it's true. I didn't I didn't realize that. So, yeah. So, like I said, most predominantly and especially at the point in time that we're writing this article uh, and doing this live uh, podcast, it refers to electric and electric is, is most predominantly pulled from burning fossil fuels. But there are many other ways that uh, different areas can generate electricity. Yeah. So uh, if I'm looking at so in New Jersey. New Jersey gets a significant amount of its power from nuclear as well, actually. I didn't know that. Yeah, like probably about 40, 40%. Of New Jersey? Yeah. It looks like it's probably about 50% fossil fuels, about 45% um, nuclear, and then only about like 5% or so renewable. Mm, and that's for your electrical. So my house has... Uh, uh, oil heat so we get the oil delivered uh, and that bill fluctuates quite a bit based off of the uh, uh, the the fuel prices but also some houses burn natural gas and then you are actually plugged into the supply of natural gas so you have piping that runs to your house from the common supply in the street so natural gas would be another grid um, yeah. but, but I want to talk about how the power, the electricity gets to your house. So there's a generation center where they're burning the fossil fuels or it could be coming from a nuclear, uh, nuclear hydroelectric. So like in Oregon, it's almost 50 percent hydroelectric. Well, that's you know, that's because they have the terrain that um, they have the, the water flowing. Um, but look, so the, the electricity comes from the generation plant in very high voltage along high voltage transmission lines. So it's likely you've seen some high voltage transmission lines are usually kind of cut out out of the terrain and these uh high voltage lines go to demand centers and those demand centers distribute those via power lines to the end consumer so those are yeah, the power it, lines well, that, the you've got the super high voltage lines for long distance transmission and then basically it kind of webs out to substations that step down the voltage and, and the, there's the like three or four steps before like the super high voltage lines before it actually gets to something that your house can handle. Yes. Um, I think I just heard our doorbell ring. But yeah, that's what, that's what those substations are doing is they're stepping down the voltage from, from one line to the next with the idea of stepping it down enough that a house won't just like short out because it's over voltage. We may uh, we may need to take a break. There's somebody at, at my door, a uh, a stranger here. So I'm gonna have to uh, have to take a break. I hope that's cool. We'll, we're gonna pause the stream and we will uh, reboot shortly. Is that cool? Okay. All right. Hang tight. All right. Sounds good. So we're we're back live. Actually, we have a guest. He'll be here in a second. Uh, we had a nice visitor. So uh, I'll I'll introduce him as he uh, as he comes down. He's he brought some uh, some snacks, fine culinary snacks here, and uh, I believe he's going to join us for the conversation. That's very exciting. Yeah. When you live when you live out in New Jersey, you don't get visitors like you do when you live in the city. So, um, 
I'll have to introduce uh, this friend of mine once he uh, once he grabs a seat down here with me. In the meantime, let's uh, let's get All back right. into off the grid, off the let grid me go, living. Let yeah. me let me go on my spiel because I'm okay, proud of this one. <laughs> All right. Like, why live off the grid? Do you hate modern society and want to get away from it all? Do you want a house built on a sustainable and ecologically uh, like helpful platform? Do you like pooping and seeing your breath at the same time? Are you sick of giving your money to large utility companies with poor track records of environmental stewardship and general cor corruption? Are you a registered sex offender who doesn't feel like knocking on every door of your new neighborhood to give a legally obligated speech detailing your legal status? Do you like chopping wood in knee-deep snow to fuel your wood stove because your solar panels don't work in a blizzard? Then living off the grid just might be for you. <laughs> I was reading this after you wrote it, and I was dying. I was literally dying <laughs> laughing. Um, but but that's that you paint a really good picture of what it looks like to live off the grid. Yeah, one of the things when I was doing research on this it, um, that came up often was about like ecological sustainability and there was a guy talking about having a wood stove and chopping wood to you know fuel it for cooking and whatever else he needed and what i was thinking was like that that's not actually more ecologically sustainable than using electric heat for your house because burning wood's super inefficient and emits a ton of carbon now because assuming you're going to be chopping down live trees, if you're just find like if you're just scavenging dead wood, then it doesn't matter. But if you're chopping down live trees, then you're taking something that's storing carbon, and then turning that into carbon dioxide in the air. Where and so, like, for all their downfalls, um, power plants are still probably the most efficient way to transmit to generate and transmit power just because they're big so you get all these huge efficiency gains just because of economies of scale so who do we got all right so we got chef bruno uh this came uh ringing the doorbell knocking on the door he's got uh he's got some treats here so i was saying before you came down is i'm used to here let's get you uh let's get you on the camera here all right so I'm used to having visitors, but now that I live in New Jersey, that's not a, not a common thing. So we got, we got Bruno on the line. So Bruno, I'm going to tell you what we're talking about today. And uh, let me pour you a drink. So we are talking about, and James, you're going to have to give your spiel again, because that, that was good. And, it, and it's, <laughs> it's worth repeating. We're talking about living off the grid. So living off the grid, you generally assume you live in a sustainable area with your own electrical source, right? You're off the electric electricity grid. But we just mentioned that being off the grid comes with, there are other grids, right? You have sewer, you have natural gas, you have garbage collection. Um, what else am I missing here? Huh? Natural gas, garbage collection, sewer, uh, um, public water, water. So there's a, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of things that you wouldn't have access to when you're off the, the grid here. So, James, you want to read uh, your <laughs> you want to sell Bruno on, on, on living off the grid here? Yeah. All right. I'll do it one more time since everyone's a fan of it. Do you hate modern society and want to get away from it all? Do you want a house built on an ecologically sustainable and self-sufficient platform? Are you sick of giving your money away to large utility companies with poor track records of environmental stewardship and general corruption? 
Do you like chopping wood in knee-deep snow to fuel your wood stove because your solar panels don't work in a blizzard? Do you like pooping and seeing your breath at the same time? Are you a registered sex offender who doesn't feel like knocking at every door of your new neighborhood to give a legally obligated speech detailing your history? Then living off the grid might just be for you. <laughs> uh, I think you hit the majority of the reasons, minus uh, pooping and seeing your breath at the same time, why one may want to uh, want to live off the grid. Well, yeah. I think the, the, the pooping and seeing your breath at the same time is just going to be a consequence of, like, when, if the generator fails and it's winter time, yeah, well, that's going to happen. Yeah, well, I mean, or if you have an outhouse and yeah, uh, you, you can leave a true steaming pile. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, who is that for? Who's willing to, who's willing to endeavor all of these things? It's I, I think it's not just simply sex offenders alone that want to be living off the grid. Well, I think anybody that has like a really strong independent streak and was also raised in an environment where they were kind of taught some of these skills as just part of their upbringing. Because as we're going to get into later, the amount of knowledge that you need, if you want to truly like be 100% independent of the grid and you're, and you're not even really going to a grocery store unless you really have to, and you're basically growing your own food or hunting your own food, and your your house is 100% off the grid in terms of you're getting your own water, you're getting your own electricity, you're taking care of your own garbage, you're disposing of your own sewage, all that kind of stuff. That requires a lot of knowledge and skill that most people don't have. Well, you know, we, we were lucky enough to have, well, you grew up more in the mountains than I did, uh, but there's... There's skills that you pick up. You uh, you lived out in the suburbs, pretty rural suburbs, right, Bruno? Yeah, I mean, I actually, uh, I was born in a resort, but most of my summer, I spent it with my grandmother, that they had a farm. So pretty much is, um, and it was in a, in a, outside of a town. It was a, a little, at the time, there were those little fractions of a town, so to speak. They used to call it the way fractions, you know, that there were five, six or ten families that they had a group of houses and they had a, a oven where they used to bake the communal oven that they used to bake the bread and that kind of thing. So, so we haven't, we haven't actually talked about living off grid amongst others, but Bruno, little history on, on, on Bruno here is he's talking about growing up in rural Italy and, uh, they were actually off the grid at the time. I mean, I remember when they brought the, the running water, but then they had a stream where in the next. So I, I can barely water. hear Bruno. You got you oh. to speak. You got to speak into the mic here. So when well, um, my grandmother. You move in. Move. You get your eye. This is your eye line. This is your eye line over here. We got it. We got it. Yeah, really. My my mother's side of the family, so to speak. It, it was. They were from a very old town, uh, about 40 or 50 miles from Rome, but they used to live outside the town. So there were those community of probably anywhere in between five and 10 families that they, they, had, uh, they had dog wells for water. They had a communal oven to bake, to do the baking. They usually had two or three families that they did the baking all together so that they 
they were very efficient that way. Um, and was there electricity? There was no electricity. No, at the time I don't think there was electricity. I mean, I don't remember. I was too young. There was electricity in Rome. Well, sure. understandably, there was electricity in Rome. There was, a, I mean, in that particular area. I remember when they brought the water. The you know the water actually it wasn't to every house. It was they just brought it and then they made a fountain in the middle of those houses. The people could go there and, and take the water to bring it into the house and then from that they attached their pipes with the meters and so on but oh, that wow. took a little bit you know it took a few years so i was probably uh, i'm talking about the 60s right here but that that was in a city that was outside of the city it was probably 20 miles out of the city that city was really rather large as a as a territory you know as a land Landmass. So, so Bruno has really Bruno grew up that way. So, I think somebody who grew up that way, who's not used to the creature comforts that we have now, it's probably easier for someone like Bruno to I make that, that move. It is easier today. I think that it is easier today to be off the grid than there was before. I mean, I remember them uh, again. My grandmother, and grandfather, that they used to make their own cheeses. They used to make. Um, Example, winter time, it wasn't necessarily for working. You know, all the wood, it was already stacked for the winter. All the, the only thing they used to do, they used to butch animals because winter time, they didn't need refrigeration. So they used to butch them up and then hang it for three or four days or whatever time it was to, for the animals to get ready to, to be chunked up in pieces and then they used to make those uh, you know the prosciutto the salamis those kind of things that that then were used for summertime when they were busy so i looking back at that their life i think that there was not much garbage uh, all the plastic all the packaging they were they were not there it didn't, didn't exist yet, didn't yeah. exist i mean if you did uh, buy a can of tomatoes that can you you, you did put um, I don't know, nails inside, the bottoms or something. You did reuse it. Everything was reused. All the food scraps and things like that was for the pig. Uh, I, I mean, I don't remember. They did. It was really a, a self-sustained ecosystem in a way. Yeah, um, it, but uh, which is wild that that's how things just were back then, especially in Italy. James, can you share a little bit more about some of the reasons why so basically, your next paragraph in the article, if you want to share a little bit of that, some of the reasons why people today might, and remember, you got the philosophy background. So, Well, I think that there's a lot of people today and um, that just look at modern society and say, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. And I think even someone who, like myself, who wouldn't consider living off the grid, there are times where it sounds appealing. Like you just say, I don't want to have to deal with this anymore. I don't want to like, I, I want to just, can't, why can't it just be me and not have to deal with anybody else? I consider being off the grid many times. And honestly, I think it's easier. Uh, it's easier than anyone can imagine in a way. Today, if you want the internet, you just hook it up to a satellite. You don't need to go to, to I don't know, to, to, to whatever company and, you buy the internet for same thing with the phone. I mean, once that you have internet, you have communication anyway. Uh, depending to on where you're living, if you're living off the grid far away from cell phone towers, you're not going to have a phone. 
Well, you do. You have satellites. I mean, it's a different system, but you pretty much you do have satellite communication anyway. And then you have, you have. It's so much easier to generate electricity today that you, you can pretty much put a, a spinner outside, and I think you you generate enough electricity to. Yeah, to solar panels plus batteries works out to be pretty good. It's just that, especially like a large battery storage system, can be pretty expensive. So, so talk a little bit about the trade-offs, because I know you had written a little on the trade-offs of, well, I'll let you, you touch well, on that. I, 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 when I thought about this, um, like the trade-off of on the grid versus off the grid is some form of both reliability and convenience. Because on the grid, everything is kind of provided to you, so it's convenient, and it's generally reliable. Like, how often do you lose power? Our power, so I heard in New Jersey the power goes off pretty frequently. Our power blipped off for less than two minutes once since we've been out here in New Jersey, and it, it was like maybe a month ago. And uh, we were like, fuck, like, what are we going to do? And then, and then it came right back on. <laughs> So, yeah, so I've yeah. lost power a couple times here, but in like the year that I've lived here, maybe three or four times, and each time it was because of a pretty strong storm. Which I, which I think that with this climate change and the severity of storms, I think there's a good chance that it, it may start to happen more often. But what you're saying is if you are off the grid, your source of power may not be quite as reliable as the, the source of power we have coming through power lines and you mentioned well if you've got solar blizzard. panels like they they are they are somewhat reliable provided the sun is shining so if you have a bad stretch of weather where it's not very sunny then you're not going to get much electricity and you you can only go as far as your storage carries in the winter time you get less hours of sun just by definition so you're going to have less time to get that power and if you've got alternative forms of generation, well, like wind power kind of is the same thing. And the other thing is if you ever have a storm come through. So like last week, I had a big storm come through and knocked out my power for the night. And when I woke up the next morning, the power was back on. I didn't have to do anything. And if I was living mm -hmm. off the grid and my power goes out, well, now I need to go out into the backyard and figure out what, what went wrong. I'm my own, I'm the own, like, utility company lineman figuring out why power went out. Um, but, yeah, but that's also unique for us. You know, I think uh, 25, 30 years ago, power outage is probably a lot more common, um, especially, you it know. It might well, have we been, grew, but you, but you still have the utility company paying for the people going to fix the lines. At no point did you ever have to, like, walk down the telephone poles and find where the line went down and put on your rubber gloves and figure out how to connect it back up again or replace a transformer. True. Like, so you've got the convenience of if something goes wrong, part of your electricity bill goes towards paying the people that fix it. So let's, let's talk about some costs real quick um, because I think that you know, it needs to be mentioned because living off the grid doesn't mean escaping all costs. And of course, we talked before you arrived, Bruno, we talked about there being a spectrum of living off the grid. So you can live off the grid electricity alone, but you can still have other other things that are tying you. 
uh, but you're still occupying land and land can is taxed by localities and that's based off your assessed land value county and state taxes and for any services that are available whether or not you are using them or not um, so for example you may pay school taxes if you don't have any kids right? uh, so I'm paying, paying school taxes right now don't have kids um, if I lived off the grid I would still have to pay those school taxes so in addition to the cost of the land and the taxes, there's the cost of the setup, the cost of the building, and then any resources that you use. Actually, excuse me one second. Actually, if you are out of the grid within a municipality, I think uh, like here in New Jersey or Connecticut, I was in Connecticut when I was uh, considering those things, you're still subject to certain... Uh, uh, they still check you out. They still check it out the water you are requested, required to actually test your water source at least once a year, making sure that it doesn't have any contaminants or any um, impurity and so on. And uh, I, I assume that's probably a Connecticut law. No, that's I think that that's everywhere. Is it, is it it's a, a, it's a health, yeah. I, I don't, don't know think if it's, it's federal. a federal law. I don't think it's federal. I think that probably there must be a federal, but then it's the state that implemented because the state even need to send the inspector first. Mm. Uh, so you definitely require to check out your water source if you have a well. Um, for electricity, I'm sure if you do put a, a windmill or wind a wind generator or um, solar panel, most likely no. But then again, you do need to have those transformer that you bring the electricity in and then they transform and store it in a certain way. So there must be some kind of, most like a fire marshal or a building inspector that they will check it out those things. I don't know regularly, but at least once. Well, yeah, the, the, the cities and the counties, they make money by inspecting all, yeah, these things and, and charging for permits. So if you're building a setup, you got to get the permits. They're going to come out. They're going to inspect. Stamp it and then most likely yeah so i guess if you want to do extreme off the grid then you'd have to probably like find a really remote area and probably just Montana. and just probably build something <laughs> on land that you don't even really own and hope that nobody notices well there yeah we didn't we didn't even talk about then the article building on somebody else's land in a, a kind of discreet area um, but let me just talk real quick about some of the costs in terms of power so you got electricity and if you're foregoing public utilities, you can get solar panels, which is the vastly the most popular and most efficient. You can do wind turbines. You can also do hydroelectric, so water-powered electric if you buy a, a regular and reliable uh, creek or, or river. Um, and then, of course, you're going you, to want to store it because there's only so much reliability. You know, when it comes to power from solar, you don't, you don't have any solar power during the night. You need to get those three together. Yeah. Yeah, and even if you've got like a gas-powered generator or something, that's just kind of an emergency backup. It's not something that you want to be relying on. Well, the gas cost to run the generator is very expensive, um, but that yeah, that that would generally be uh, used as a backup. Um, but but it also they all come at cost. Solar power, solar panels can cost fifteen to twenty to thirty grand depending on your electricity use. So presumably you're off the grid. It'll be on the lower end of that. But uh, gas power generators, minimum, you know, 500 or 1000 bucks for a very basic one that's not going to give you 
a house. It's not going to power a whole home. It's not going to power a whole house. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for some people, the upfront cost could be prohibitive. Getting the structure, uh, retrofitting it with electric uh, uh, solar power. Um, and you're going to have a really hard time getting financing for this because banks aren't going to be very interested in financing an off-the-grid property. Well, because it doesn't have much resale value. And that's, right. that's where the banks gauge the value and basically are you know uh, underwriting your home uh so on top of the upfront cost of the structure and putting in your your own utilities the well the electric uh you also have regular costs that can accrue over time so as you mentioned earlier when it comes to chopping wood you need heat in the winter time right and heat depending on the climate that you're in heat can be very expensive so whether you're chopping the wood um, or you're buying the pellets, you know, whatever that may be, or maybe it's electric heat, which I don't think is, is sustainable with, uh, with solar panels. These things can cost, uh, quite a bit. Um, plus, uh, you know, depending on how off the grid you want to be, whether you're paying healthcare and insurance costs or not, those, you know, if you have a health emergency and you got to pay, uh, $80,000 to be helicoptered out or you got, you're not paying health insurance because you really want to be fully self-sustaining. There are other costs that can ebb and flow, uh, you know, tsunami style waves. Like, like well, and also just like the cost of maintaining all your stuff. You're like, since you're the <laughs> utility company, you're the one who's having to pay to repair all this stuff. And like a lot of this stuff will break pretty frequently. Well, yeah, but plus over time, you know, these things can, effectively go obsolete yeah. so you, you you know you're gonna have to you're gonna have to be able to deal with not just maintaining it but replacing it because there's yeah like your battery storage system only has so many power cycles before it's just toast and and then also you may need a vehicle to get back on the grid you may need to go grocery shopping you might need to maybe your kids go to school but the house itself is off the grid again we're talking the spectrum of the grid so you may need a vehicle that may be uh, something that needs to be registered and you have to pay insurance for. So living off the grid doesn't mean you can just retire and live in the woods. In some cases, it may mean that, but there are costs when it comes to that. Well, and, and the farther out there you go, like the more you're giving up. Like, well, sure, Raj, you're getting Raj, all this independence. Uh, yeah, like Rosh says, kids will be homeschooled, which I could totally could see happening. That, that is an option, yeah. But, like, yeah, the more independent you are, the, the the more you're giving up of the things that society makes easy for us. And some people might like that, but like there's some things that are really, really hard for you to provide on your own and really, really easy for society to provide to you. Well, you know, a big attractor for many people on top of the lifestyle of being self-sufficient is the cost-reducing factor of growing your own food supply. Food costs, and Bruno knows this firsthand, um, you know, working in the uh, restaurant industry and, and being a chef, food you're always talking to me about food costs for restaurants and you're talking to me about grocery shopping. Bruno is always telling me about what are the most expensive items in the grocery store, like buying those pre-cut onions. Uh, you're paying, you might as well buy six onions, you know, for you're getting one pre-cut onion. Um, but growing and managing your own food supply is a major cost savings. One second. Uh, I mean, I think that. Got to get closer to the mic. You got to lean in a little bit. You got to hit the mic. Okay. Um, 
going off the grid is more a philosophy type thing. It's more a state of mind than savings and so on. I don't think somebody goes out the grid uh, because he wants to save on electricity, so to speak, uh, or because he likes to chop wood. It's, it's really a, a, a whole mindset, let's put it this way. I mean, understandably, the, the, the services that we get, they make a lot of money out of uh, providing us with the electricity and the gas and so on and so forth. So we are getting used to those systems and to the system we're living in today because the, the, the company, the, the corporation made it easy for us because they make a lot of money out of it. So I don't think that it's even a matter of um, an economic matter. I think it's more of um, um, uh, a mindset, if you like, to go off the grid, you do, but I think it's definitely very difficult today to do so. Although it made it, it, it become easier in the last, I want to say, 20 years. Because of the technological advances. Because of the technological advances. So, but, so let me ask this. Do you think it's more stick it to the man? Like, you know, screw you guys, you're, you're charging all this stuff. Or do you think it's more, I want to be closer to the environment and closer to nature? I think it's a more a matter of uh, being self-reliant. It's one of the things that we always want to be. Uh, but not, uh, not, not everybody. No, I, no, you, no. you and I may share that in common. James as well. I, I, uh, all, all that. Uh, we less so than the two of you. We want to be able to retire. Why people talk about retirement? Because once that you retire, you don't need to deal with anybody anymore. You do what you want, when you want, how you want, and so on and so forth. So that's one of the, that's the carrots that they mm -hmm. keep showing it to you for, for 20, 30 years of your life. At least it used to be that way. So, okay, you work for and me. Now it's 40 years of your life. Excuse me? You said now, now it's 40 it's... years of your life or 50 years of your life. Yeah, no, now it doesn't even exist anymore. They did just the carrots in a screen. <laughs> the, the carrots is not even there. Yeah, there's a lot but less anyway, carrot and a lot more stick. Yeah, it's no. a lot more stick than the carrots, of course. So, but look, so the point that I was making is that is that living off grid doesn't mean you're getting away scot free when it comes to when it comes to costs. There's still a lot of costs. Costs. Uh, schooling costs. Uh, there's there. It, again, it's just it's not it's not scot free. So uh, although I think kind of in general the idea is it's going to be cheaper than living once you get set up. Your operating costs, your residual costs, are going to be lower than somebody who's paying for water and natural gas being delivered to to the house. Uh, anything you want to add before we get into how to transition off the grid? Um. I think we've already kind of talked about transitioning off the grid a little bit, but um, no, we'll, let's. I, I'm going to save the the van life conversation for the very end. Well, I think I think I think that's a that's actually a pretty cool one. I I, uh, I I I didn't even think about this van life idea until you brought it up this afternoon after we after we painstakingly put all this information together. So let me just let we get tw about 20 minutes left or so. Uh, let me run through transitioning off the grid pretty quick, and then we can talk about the self-sustainability of van life. Uh, yeah, about living in a van down by the river. <laughs> as long as you had that hydroelectric supply. Um, so if you're going to decide to move off off the grid, there's a serious level of commitment. And you know your goal is, is to get free in one respect or another. But the first step, 
isn't taking action. It's really this mental consideration if this is something you really want to commit to, right? You, you, you just can't dive into it because what happens if you dive into it, you're going to regret it because you weren't fully prepared. So that's why we're so we got this episode for, of the podcast because <laughs> this is what you're going to do. You're going to listen to this episode of Sip Talk. You're going to have a drink and then you're going to sell your house and uh, just going to give away your house or move out into a tent in the woods and you'll, bu- you'll build up from there. So once you decided to move off the grid, step one is finding a good piece of land. That's a major priority. Well, that's that's let's put that in line with with let's that's after my my transition. Right now, I'm talking about living on on real property, on actual terrain. Uh, so you got to find a good place to land. Accessibility has its pros and cons because if you want something that's not too accessible, it is you know it, you get you have more privacy, but reconnecting with humanity when you need it and you may need it especially for medical reasons um, is much more difficult so there are pros and cons with limited accessibility Um, but the land also needs to be ample in resources and the location needs to be in a climate that you are prepared to undertake i don't know if you've seen the movie into the wild you ever seen the movie into the wild well that was someone who had no idea what they were doing well he exactly he had a book and he went to live in a in a broken down bus in the mountains. Oh, yeah, the one in the Not just the middle, yeah. the mountains in the like, like the desolate wild, like wildlands of Alaska. And that's so what, that's not what Bruno easy, just said. Yeah, not an easy climate to live in, and he had virtually no survival skills. Well, he had he had a book, but that's why I said the first step is really mental and consideration before you get started, because you don't want to bite off more than you can chew. Uh, and in addition, it's, uh, sorry, and I, I just want to talk about the, the land location. You can choose a piece of land, but that land cannot be surrounded by other pieces of private land that you don't have an easement or a way to pass by those other pieces of land. So that's, I, I read a couple of articles where they mentioned this, that they were unable to, they bought this land, but then they couldn't access it because none of the, the properties around them would provide easement to get into the land and because that land had sat there for more than 10 years without any easement, I think you have to have an easement for 10 years before it becomes kind of a uh, implied agreement that you have access to that land. So once you've identified a location, you have to either choose to build a structure or maybe buy a prefab structure. So the land may actually come with a home on the land and then you may need to retrofit it for solar panels by digging a well, but you have kind of you have kind of three options, yeah. Um, and remember, cost is a major factor. Uh, and I noticed that online there seems to be a small sector of the internet that's completely devoted to these kind of prefab, off-the-grid f- homes, which I thought was a bit ironic because you have a sector of the internet that's devoted to living off the grid well th- those are the people that probably haven't lived off the grid yet <laughs> well they're making lots of money so they may not be incentivized to and they're obviously using an internet connection and electricity so who knows um but look once the structure is built or while you're building it you've got to decide how you're going to get power and water because you, and not everybody off the grid uses electricity not everybody's connected to solar power some use candles and fire to cook food and provide light um, but water is the source of life h2o so you want to have 
you definitely need the water. Yeah. You need to have uh, a, a supply of water, whether it's from a, a stream um, or from collecting rainwater. But again, if you live in an area and we're seeing this across the nation, the Midwest right now, California, it's not new to California where you don't have a regular amount of rain. Right. So you couldn't count on rainwater other places. Maybe you could, but well, even in like before climate change made California even more arid than it is now, like there's certain parts of the country that are very seasonal with their weather where like there will be parts of California that'll go six or seven months with no rain and then they'll get all their rain for the year in like three or four months. So they might get like a normal amount of rain, but it's compressed into like three or four months and then. Like, that fills up a whole bunch, like, in California, like, in Sacramento, where my brother lived, like, it wouldn't rain for eight months, and then it would rain a lot in, like, three or four months, and all that rain would fill up, like, the snowpack in the Sierra Nevadas, and then, like, over the rest of the year, that snowpack, snowpack. would melt down exactly. and, and feed the rivers. Yeah, so the, the point is that there's a lot of planning, and that planning is also location-specific. Well, one thing I want to mention is, in some parts, all the old houses... The basement is uh, it's actually a cistern because it rained very little. There is mm -hmm. no water source in the island. Okay. So everything that rained, all the rain, it was collected in the basement of the house. Each house has this basement full of, that is a cistern. So it's it's fun. So what Bruno's saying is the basements of the homes in St. Barnes are a cistern, which I don't know exactly the mechanics of how that works, but I assume it collects the, the rainwater. Yeah. And... Yeah, you just and got all your gutters and stuff that feed to the yeah, basement. What, what we're facing right now is a critical water shortage across a decent, I think it may be like 30% of the United States. It's a, a large percentage. But because we are stuck in all these kind of forward-thinking ways and the people are getting upset because they can't just turn on their faucet and get water and they can't just water their lawns. Uh, but we're really not thinking outside of the very traditional drill a well or reservoir building um you know we're, we're we're there's a lot of debate over desalination of ocean water and just uh, so many other means to bring in clean drinking well, water desal is a great idea the problem is that it's super energy intensive well uh, what uh, i actually wasn't aware of the energy involved in doing that what i had heard was then you end up with this surplus of salt which to me that's didn't not sound, the issue the, the problem like is that issue to making exactly. a desal plant like we have the technology to do it the problem is that with the amount of energy that has to be put in to desalinate the water like the the cost per gallon is just super high no we can talk about desalination in, in a, another episode because that's actually I imagine maybe they're boiling. The, I don't know. We'll, we'll get into that later. Let, let me just, I want to finish this so we can talk about boats and, and RVs and vans. Because uh, that actually sounds really cool. So once the structure is built, you're going to decide how you want power and water. Uh, and you can also be completely free of electricity. Some people get heat by fire and light by candlelight. But water supply is crucial. You could dig a well, collect rainwater, boil water from a nearby supply. But incoming fresh water is important. Uh, and it's and and not not just the incoming fresh water, but very easily overlooked is how to dispose of wastewater and sewage. An outhouse may be a solution for some, but in cold environments, it may be unpalatable, and you uh, you may find yourself, you know, in in a position where you're in freezing 
below freezing temperatures and and, and inclement weather, and you got to be using an outhouse. Yeah, you don't uh, want your butt frozen, like literally frozen to the toilet seat. Yeah, that's not something you you want to be in. Um, and uh, and it's also you know it's not safe. So we'll talk on food planning um, in a minute on on how that can be dangerous. But I'll start with just general food planning. Food planning can be very complicated if you're not shopping in a grocery store. Some people off the grid do make regular shopping trips. But most people, their goal is to learn how to grow, harvest, and store the food. And they have to have a basic understanding of gardening and farming and then long-term sustainability of that. So preserving the foods, preserving food through the wintertime, how to care for crops, when to plant, what to plant, um, uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for about keeping your uh, watering the plants, basically? Uh, irrigation. Uh, irrigation, irrigation systems. Um, but and, 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 and on top of that, planning for the fluctuation in the weather and the general output, the yield of, of what you're trying to to grow and harvest. Uh, and, you know, then, then you may end up having to be at the grocery store. And, you know, if you hadn't planned for that financially, that could be a problem. Uh, hunting and fishing are uh, options for people who live in a place where there's abundant wildlife or they're near a local source where there are fish. Uh, but then also storage and preservation of these foods can be very difficult without much skill. You just talked about, Bruno, how they used to uh, harvest, uh, not harvest, they used to uh, keep the meat at the end of the end of the fall time to last through the winter time, right? Yeah, but the, you know, most of the... We have to realize, too, that the refrigeration is something that we are using for the last 50 years. If that, in some if places. If that, in some places. Yeah. You know, so 50 years ago, it started to really come into the market. Before that, it was just the salt, salt or sugar to preserve things. Yeah. So, I mean, back on, back on it's an uh, obsolete type preservation method yeah bacon is just preservation type the preservation type that's used for bacon is only basically used for bacon and maybe one or two other things right now that was basically a salt-based preservation thing that once that the refrigeration didn't come about is not needed anymore so we just do the we just do the bacon because we sell it the flavor of it but that would be easier to to actually do it again Known a commercial or industrial base as we do it, but that's but it's still relatively, it's still relatively easy to easy do. Easy to do. So I mean, so let let's talk. Let's let, let me just talk. I want to just talk real quick about storing food, um, and then and uh, and then we can hit the van life, and we can run we can run a little overtime if we need to. But I want to I want to get this in within within the hour here. Uh, so hunting and fishing only work if you have abundant wildlife and a fish supply, uh, but storing food means you need to keep it edible uh, potentially alive and you also have to account for the food waste there's byproduct that comes to keeping animal uh, foods in your home Uh, and if you don't do it right you can have pests and mismanagement of this waste or just the food supply Uh, can lead to contaminated food it can lead to bugs small animals or possibly worse dangerous large animals like bears on clothing, because it's important, clothing, you've got to be uh, capable of bearing the elements, which means warm clothes in the wintertime, light clothes in the summertime. But you need to be able to 
uh, survive the changing seasons. And you've got to be able to keep your clothes stockpiled, dry, and clean because you probably don't have a washer and dryer. Um, and then lastly, when it comes to living off the grid, uh, personal health. You, uh, you, know, you have to have a, a good well-being. Living off the grid can be very lonely at times. It can be stressful at times. Uh, but it's generally more demanding in many uh, aspects of life than a traditional lifestyle. So strong mental health, strong physical health are a must. Failing cardiovascular, respiratory, and mus muscular strength are the downfall of any person, especially one who is self-dependent. Um, so you have to make sure that you have the capacity to take on this great endeavor of living off the grid if it's something that you choose to do. If it is something that you choose to do when you make this transition, there are very exciting changes ahead of you. Yeah, you're so, probably not going to find too many fat people that are living off the grid. Well, it depends. Depends. No, uh, I don't think they're going to be fat for long. But but generally, you have a lot of work to do. So you got to think, you got to plan, you got to act smart. Um, and if you do so, you'll be much more, you'll be much better aligned with success. So I wish everybody who wants to do this. Good luck and Godspeed. Now we're going to live, we're going to move into living off the grid, not on a set piece of land. Yeah, so, either van or what some people like to like do in their retirement, which is like sail the oceans in like a well, sailboat and just live on a sailboat for years. So we get Bruno's got a couple of years on me, I think at least, what, two, dec two decades on me, I think, at least. Yeah. Uh, I think Bruno's got a bit of dream to be uh, uh, to be waterbound, but let's let's talk about that. Let's 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 talk about van life or or waterbound life. I, you know, there's a time a while ago where I was, you know, I was working in real estate, and uh, I said, you know, what if I just moved on to a boat that I could live in, get a electric supply to that boat, and I'd have heat in the wintertime. I could get some dock space off in New York City, and I could afford the boat and the dock space, and that would be about what I was paying in rent. Yeah, it's up in um, the Washington Heights over there. Exactly. Yeah, you you know. Uh, so James, you want to you want to lead with the the nomadic lifestyle? Yeah. So I don't know. Van life to me seems like being homeless with extra steps. What do you mean extra steps? <laughs> Fueling up the car? <laughs> it's well, yeah, like you've got you're you're homeless, but you have a van. Um, although I will say that, like, I've seen some pictures of the like vans that people have that like have been kitted out and have like like a full bed in them and like really nice wood paneling and stuff. So some of the some of these vans that people live in are actually really nice inside. Yeah, it's a whole way of life. I've I've seen tiny house. There's a whole tiny house channel on TV right now. Uh, now that those tiny houses aren't off the grid, but I also see a lot of people on these kind of do-it-yourself channels retrofitting vans to uh, to basically be self-sustaining. Yeah, I think the whole idea behind the the van lifers is just the idea of being really free, because you can go anywhere and do anything, and your house is right there with you. Fair enough. Now, Bruno, Bruno lit up. Well, he, he mentioned the the living uh, living in a boat, and I think that's I think that's really exciting. But for me, I'm I'm curious. I'd like you to paint a little better picture of this, Bruno. You lit up like it's something you spent a lot of time considering. So for me, you know, 
I, I want to hit a point in my, my life where I can just kind of retire. I don't have to work. I don't have to worry about income. I can live a lifestyle where I spend as much effectively, effectively as I'm making, but I have the bank supply in the back end. And to me, I'll just be chilling out at the beach drinking margaritas. But at a certain point, that lifestyle gets how many margaritas can you drink a day and how many, how many days can you drink margaritas in a week and then a week, a month, et cetera, et cetera. So living on a boat to me, while it's probably healthier than drinking margaritas every day. <laughs> um, but I'm curious, when does that get old? And what does your vision of living on this boat look like? Okay. Um, I, come to, I, I love the oceans. I traveled for many, many years. I lived in the ocean, on the sides, or, you know, on, on, on islands and so on. So I really, I love the ocean, let's put it this way. Um, so the sailing or living in a in a sailboat sailing particular sailboat is something that always um intrigued me in the sense that you have the ability to uh, a boat is a little house is an is an apartment or a little house more so than a, a van than a, yeah, there's more a, space the Generally. right type of boat. Yeah, the boats that I think are in your mind. But can you describe what type of boat that is? Is it a catamaran? It's, it's, it's more uh, well, than a, I, a speed I definitely, boat. I definitely uh, am more inclined towards catamarans. Catamarans is a, uh, it's a stable platform. So you you do have... Um, uh, it's really... When you see the layout of those things, even the small ones, they are really nice. You have... Uh, they're also stable because they have the two... Uh, but generally, the, even a sailboat, um, a monohull, so to speak, it's also stable because the the bottom has a weight, so it keeps it straight. Unless you are uh, underway, so you are inclined according to the wind. But when you are on on a harbor, when you are um, anchor on anchor, you are it's pretty stable the, the the boat. Anyway, you are no leaning left or right. So the thing is, you have a you have a bathroom, you have the kitchen, you have your bedroom, you have storage, uh, you have your living room inside and outside. So anything that is uh, thirty six feet and over, it's thirty six to fifty feet. It's that's really a, that's a, that's a big boat, though. Well, that's yeah. Well, you don't want to be in a in a in a dinghy. I mean. That's pretty much what what I'm looking for when you're talking about um, uh, a sailboat. Anyway, um, I cannot see myself more than a couple of months in an RV, example. RV is too. I don't know. It's but but you like the water. I I like the water, but being at sea for me would be quite scary. I think living living close to the coast, I could I could understand. James, when I worked in South Carolina in Charleston, I worked in the downtown location, which is a peninsula, sea-facing, effectively, and a lot of people sail into in a, into Charleston, into the port of Charleston, and dock off of the peninsula, and then rent cars to get around town. So I met a lot of people that told me that that's where they live. They and but they also had you know some pretty nice, some of them million-dollar boats, you know. Between, excuse me, between Maine and Florida, there is an intercoastal waterway. So you don't even need to be in the ocean to travel north and south in the United States. And most of the, most of the continents anyway, they do have currents. Uh, 
along the coast that is pretty it's almost driving um or riding um um, a highway in a way all right well we're gonna have to kick out the uh the live stream we reached the end of the live stream uh so for those of you that uh want to catch this don't forget to subscribe we're gonna drop off of here we'll see you guys next time yeah i'm looking at prices of catamarans right now they're not cheap all right i'm gonna stop our broadcast hope that's all right um but like if you're sailing from one place to another, you're out on like the open ocean or whatever. Like, is when like do you have if you're sailing by yourself? Like, what happens when you need to sleep? There are ways. I mean, you know, there are ways to stop the boat. There are ways to keep it going uh, so that the boat is. Especially nowadays, you know, in order to sink, you really need to have uh, to screw up big time. Most of those boats, they are unsinkable just by the way they are built. Um, and, and yes, I know that this Titanic too was unsinkable, but then... <laughs> yeah, but they also tried. Yeah. But so anyhow, um, there are ways that you, you, you put the boat in a certain way and... Um, and, and you can go to sleep anyhow. I mean, many people did um, uh, cross the Atlantic. It's just 18 days. I mean, I saw uh, young girls, 14, 16 years old, crossing. I mean, I, I saw people I read about, no, so I read about, actually in, in Jersey City one time, some people started rowing with a, a, a boat that it could have been maybe 10 footer, 10 foot by four by six feet wide, and they were rowing across the freaking Atlantic. So those distances, and again, if you want to sail, when I was in the Caribbean, there were lots of boats coming over, and it took 18 days from uh, to, to cross it. I saw people coming with little babies in Amak. I mean, little yeah. babies, I mean, like less than a year old. I said, how the hell are you, do you do that? I said, oh, I was tired of my life. So I took my wife, my baby, and we crossed the Atlantic. I mean, oh, God. They make that a lifestyle. Yeah. But they did actually they, they, make a lifestyle. After that, they do. But, uh, an aquatic lifestyle? Yeah, Rosh is saying that the, the babies can be an emergency food supply, too. Yeah. It's terrible. No. <laughs> uh, so, look, I got to show you. Bruno brought, brought over this nice cheese. Uh, I got to show you just because I got to flex it. I got to... I gotta, uh, show you here in the, in the. Ooh, is that, like, I can't really see. Is that blue cheese? No, that's um, a goat cheese with um, that is cured in um, ashes, in, and then smoked. It it actually looks really really good, and we haven't had much of an opportunity to kind of dig in over the last forty minutes, so we may while we're they having this they conversation. They call it fog. Ah. Most likely you find it somewhere in one of those cheese places. It's it's a soft cheese with uh, again it was cured under ashes and. Do we uh, want to wrap the live portion of this cast and go off air? All right, fair enough. I think uh, we'll enjoy the cheese off air. We want to thank everybody for uh, for joining us on uh, on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Twitch, and uh, and we got a few things to carry off air. And uh, we got to eat some cheese, and we don't we don't want you guys watching us while we're digging into this cheese. So, 
I also need to I need to get your thoughts on this travel stuff because I need to right. book my flights I'm before. I'm aware. All right, so I'm gonna uh, sever the stream and uh, we'll talk some travel plans. We'll talk some cheese, and uh, hopefully one of the next episodes is done live with uh, with you over here. So let me just bring us offline. We'll see you guys next time. This is the other end of Sip Talk. Uh, thank you for coming. Thank you for making it this far, and uh, we'll see you next time. This has been fun. I like PBR. I just got priced out of it.